It was great to have uh, Daniel Sawyer with us last week, uh, rejoicing in our Freedom in Christ Sunday and good fellowship meal after that, uh, looking at the Word together. Uh, today, we're, we're going to get back to our Summer in the Psalms theme. We're going to change gears a little bit. We spent June, for the most part, looking at songs of praise. And now, Lord willing, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at songs of the King, shifting that topic a little bit. And we're going to start with Psalm 95. This psalm has always been one of my favorites. If you notice, it shows up a fair amount as one of our calls to worship, like today. It's a great psalm, great topic. Come, let us worship. Come, let us shout joyfully, make a joyful noise. All those themes in there. But full disclosure, I've always kind of wondered, whoa, what's with the middle of the psalm where it kind of just all of a sudden goes dark? All of a sudden starts talking about not joy and praise and worship before the Lord, but then it's like loathing and hard hearts and anger and restlessness. It goes kind of dark right there at the end of verse 7 through the rest of the psalm. And so I was thankful in the last few weeks to really dig into this and get an understanding of what's going on. And I think it's profound you know, the Psalms are the hymn book of the Old Testament people of God. Uh, it was their worship song book. And there's still that for us as well. And they have a power to transform us, to challenge us, for us to be changed. So if you would, please read with me and let's dig in to the message of this psalm and why it's necessary to hear not just the light and the goodness of the first part, but the challenge and the darkness of the second part of this song. Read with me Psalm 95. This is God's Word. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth the peaks of the mountains are his also the sea is his for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word that it is trustworthy and true. 
Transform us through it, Lord. Penetrate our hard hearts. Soften us and lead us. Make us willing to be led. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see what I mean? If you haven't read the psalm lately, just the, the contrast there, how it just goes dark. Just come, worship, bow, and sing. Shout joyfully, 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 joyfully. Today, don't harden your hearts. Don't rebel. I loathed those people. Judgment. They won't enter my rest. As you're looking at that, what part do you really want to dwell on? What part do you want to characterize your life? The first part of the joy and praise and wonder and all that? Or the second part of restlessness? Rebellion? I would choose the first part. I'm going to guess, you know, everyone would want that. You might feel like that's not where you are. And that's the big question today. As we look at this text, how do we live our lives in that first part and experience that joy sincerely where it's not just the words, you know, it's not just in our heads, it's not just something we dutifully carry out, but that we experience from our hearts a life that is an expression of worship and joy. How do we find that and how do we avoid the alternative of having God's anger and judgment and the restlessness of it? The answer is right here in the psalm. And it sounds really simple to say it, but if you've tried to do this, it, you know the challenges of it. The, the, the answer is, how do, you, how do you experience that joy? How do you get yourself on that path and stay on that path no matter what's happening in your life and the circumstances? The way is to really embrace the Lord as who He says He is. To accept Him and live your life as if he truly was the great God and king over all. The one who made the sea and the dry land. The one who has the heights of the mountains and the depths of the seas. The one who is over it all. Who the psalmist says, just matter of factly, is a great God and a great king above all. He has the whole world in his hands, as it says there in verse 4. And you might say, well, I do that, right? I, I know that. I, I maybe grew up in the church, and I know, you know, maybe sang as a kid, if you're, you know, my age and older, that he's got the whole world in his hands, the itty-bitty children. Probably some other politically incorrect thing goes on later in a verse I don't remember. But, you know, the song is pretty old. But that, that idea, right? You say, I know that, you know, and I do this and that. What the psalm is asking for and what the reason we sing these words and uh, the old covenant people, the Old Testament people of God would sing this to be shaped, to not only remember, but to feel and experience what it means for God to be the great God and King above all. And it says it, and that's where the end of verse 7 comes in. That really what it means, if you truly accept the Lord as God and King over all, if you really embrace that truth, then you will, verse 7 at the end, hear His voice. And that doesn't mean necessarily some sort of audible voice. Mike. <laughs> right? Sally. Right? You, 
what you will hear, what, it, what the sense is there, if you would hear his voice, the, 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 the language is at least meaning pay attention, but more often means essentially a synonym for obey. If you would heed the voice of God, if you would obey what God wants, even as you know it's good, and even as you do many good things, but to have that from your heart, that it leads into your life. You know, we, we ministered for a number of years in a, in a community in Tennessee that was a largely a retired community. Uh, many, many folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they all had various aches and pains, you know, as, as you do over time, right? Your body starts breaking down, and especially your joints, right? Hips and knees in particular. People experience pain. I think I heard an amen over there somewhere. Uh, you know, your knees, your hips. And so people are walking around with limps and things, and, and everybody who's, who's there is somebody who they know has had a surgery on that part of their body, and it really worked well or whatever, especially though, I heard it so many times with, with hips and with knees, and there were occasions where it went really badly. But for most people, when they would go in for one of those surgeries and come out of it, they were just like, I should have done this a long time ago. I feel great. Despite having friends who told them, you know, get it done. You'll, you'll feel great. They finally accepted the truth of that and put their lives on the line, literally to go in for surgery, and they would say, I should have done this a long time ago. That's hearing, you know, that's not just understanding intellectually, it's not just saying, okay, you'll do this, but it says, you know what? I'm really experiencing this. And in a similar way, really, that's what this psalm is calling us to do. That if you will hear the Lord, if you will accept, especially the truth that He is who He says He is, that he is the great God and king, and you will embrace that, you will be on a path to experience joy and rest, satisfaction. And I think you will find that you will say, I should have done this a long time ago. That this is the best place to be. But if you don't embrace him that way, you are not going to experience that joy and that depth of feeling and experience and confidence and hope and contentment. You'll experience desperation and longing and anxiety, thirsty. The psalm tells us there's really only two responses to the truth and the reality that God is the great God and King over all. There's only two responses. And that's what we're going to unpack today is looking at those one at a time. And they fall into the two main portions of the psalm here. There's two responses. And the first one is, is to, to hear and obey the Lord, to understand who He is, believe it, and enter into what I'm going to call the rhythm of joy. We see this in verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7. The, the rhythm of joy, what does, that, what does that look like? It's got two facets, actually, that correspond to the two commands that are in this psalm. Both the commands, same command, verse 1 and verse 6. The Oh, come, let us sing for joy, verse 1. Verse 6, come, 
Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Those are the two commands, and those are the two aspects of, of entering into the rhythm of joy. That if you would do these two things, flowing from a heart of obedience, you will do these two things. And as you do these two things, you will find a heart of obedience. It's a beautiful pattern and rhythm of coming into the presence of the Lord, of finding this rhythm of joy. And the, the first aspect of it is to look up with thanks. Verse 1, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. The English Standard Version has uh, make a joyful noise for shout joyfully. I like that because... That's my encouragement to people, including myself, who don't sing that great, you know, maybe can half carry a tune, but to make a joyful noise, right? And it's actually more noisy than that. The, the sense of this word, it's just one word in, in the Hebrew, make a joyful noise, the shout joyful, however you want to translate it. It's just one word, and, it, and it's in essence uh, describing your response to something that happens that's super positive, like uh, a victory shout. The, the best I could think of uh, is a, a, a modern-day equivalent of your, your team, you know, sc scoring a goal or whatever or making a great play, right? What do you do when that happens instinctively, especially if you're in a stadium full of fans of, of your team? What do you do? They just scored. Where do you go? Hmm. That's nice. What do you do? Yeah! Did I wake you up? That's what you do, right? It's instinctive. Pastor Dave did it for Camp Treasure Island earlier. I was laughing just thinking about this. It's like, Camp Treasure Island, yeah! Woo! Did I mess up the sound system? It's probably good we're not streaming. Yeah, that's the response. Do you have to think about that? Do you have to calculate that? Like, oh, something good happened to my team. I really like this team. They're my favorite team. What do people do in this circumstance? Hmm, they clap. It's not golf, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is even a form of, you know, that's the sense here. That's a joyful noise. Think about that the next time you come in, next Sunday morning, Lord willing, you come here for worship and there's a call to worship, that then the response is one of, yes! Let's look up to God. This is the God we are coming to worship. The God who is the rock of our salvation, it says here. The rock of our salvation at the end of verse 1. Let us shout joyfully. Let us, ah, victory cheer. Woo! The rock of our salvation, the sense of a rock there in that, in that text is that that's somewhere you can hide for safety and protection. You know, back in those days, you didn't have a lot of building materials, right? And so you would very often live in something that wasn't very sturdy. And when the enemies came, you'd go hide among the rocks of the nearby hills. It's like a sturdy wall. And God says, that's who I am. I'm the rock of your salvation. Come hide in me. Find safety from this, the arrows of the enemy that beset you. That's who I am. I'm a place to hide where enemies can't reach you, where they can't penetrate very easily. I'm the great God and King, and I hold the whole world in my hands, and I'm working for you, and I'm available to you. 
Is that not a reason to go, woo? You know, that's in the Old Testament very often where this happens, where God delivers his people very obviously and very physically in the world around them. But how much more so should we not go, woo, if we understand what God is doing in the little things and the big things even, that we would look up to him with thanks and just express that, the appreciation, Lord, thank you, wow. And in fact, that leads to the second part of the rhythm of joy, where we not only look up with thanks and go, wow, this is great. This is something wonderful for me. But where we then bow down in wonder. So there's this cycle of looking up with thanks that leads us to bow down in wonder. Look at verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Worship, bow down, and kneel are three different words, but they're super close in meaning. They, they overlap. In, in, they're essentially synonyms, different words describing a very similar thing. And, and what they describe is essentially getting lower physically to demonstrate an attitude of humility. Getting physically lower to demonstrate humility before another. The, to say, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm nowhere near your greatness. I, I bow down before you. The psalmist is acknowledging that the great God and King over all things is our God. We are His people. Not because we said, oh, I think that's a good idea, right? But because He said, I think it's a good idea and I want you to be my people. And I want to be your God. And I'm going to provide for you. And the image that he uses there is that of a sheep. Verse 7. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. You know, the, the, the language there is not only an echo of the covenant formula that appears throughout the Old Testament, this expression of the relationship with God that's it's shorthand. You see it again and again if you're paying attention that where this language of, you know, I will be your God and you will be my people shows up. God's saying, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you where I am the great king over all and you'll be my subjects, my people. That I will provide for you. I will, I will reign over you. I will fight your battles for you. I will bring death and destruction to all of your enemies. I will keep you safe. And you'll be my people. And I'll be your God. The, the other image that's used there is that of a shepherd caring for sheep. The psalmist is acknowledging that God is providing for us like we are sheep. That he leads us beside the still waters. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, as Psalm 23 puts it. But the only way that happens is if we hear and obey. If we would hear His voice, if we would listen, if we would accept that He actually knows what He's talking about. He not only knows what He's talking about, He knows what He's doing. And we would accept that humble posture of bowing down before Him, at least in our hearts, if not physically. 
consider that maybe when you're praying. You know, literally get down on your knees. Try it. See if that doesn't change your attitude. Maybe, maybe even just on your knees with your head down, praying. And some of you do that, I know. And it's, it's a powerful image. It changes your, your heart, your attitude. And it's the way, believe it or not, this is the pattern and the rhythm of joy. If we would both see, see God, believe He's so much at work that we see things that are happening and we give Him the thanks... And that that leads us to say, this is the God, verses 3 through 5. Do you notice that, that the description of who God is as the great God and King, the one who holds the whole world in His hands, verses 3 through 5, is buried right in the middle of these two things. The two commands, come, let us shout joyfully, right? Then here's who God is. Then verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel. That buried in the middle of those two things is the description of who God is. It's like, shout joyfully because God is who He is. And because God is who He is, man, you better bow down. You don't have any other choice. You just do. It's your response. That that's the way to joy. That that is the way to a life of joy. Have you ever thought about that? You know, how do you get joy? Some people are pursuing it. You know, we are guaranteed as Americans, right? The, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So are you thinking I can pursue happiness? Let me tell you something. You can't pursue joy directly. It's a secondary thing. And I think the best way to understand that is to think about anger for a moment because I think we all understand anger as something that overtakes us in response to what's going on in life. Have you ever, uh, ever stubbed your toe or been in a basement with a low ceiling and lots of pipes where you just bang your head on it, even if you're not very tall? What's your instant response, right? It's like the same kind of, it's not far from the, yeah, but it's a little different. You just clench your jaw. Oh, yeah, oh. Very similar, right? So that, what happens is uh, your instant response to pain is, is an instant uh, anger. And what happens when somebody says, oh, are you okay? What do you do? You go, oh, well, thank you for asking. I appreciate your compassion. What do you do? You go, no, I'm not okay. I just hit my head. Oh. At least that's, I've seen people do that. I don't know. No, that's what you do. You're angry because you just wounded yourself or we're wounded, right? That anger is a response to, to a wound or a hurt more often than not. That's the majority of what anger is about. And it, it's a physical thing or it could be emotional wounds, relational wounds, right? So we respond to those like that. And, and what happens it's very often, right, we have those wounds and, and they get poked and it hurts, right? And they, they don't get to heal because they keep getting poked. Do you realize joy actually is very similar? That the things that happen, like your team making the play, right? That's just your response. And you can, you can live in that for a while, right? You can rejoice for at least hours after that. And in fact, what happens? If you poke that joy again, you can get it back a little bit. 
That's the way joy works, right? It's, it's a response to good things that are happening. So you need to, to, number one, you need to get to know the Lord enough and His ways so you know, okay, this is actually something good and not something bad. But more than that, you need to pay attention to what are you focusing on? So many people today are intentionally subjecting themselves to just wound after wound after wound after wound. you got a big gaping hurt in your heart and you turn on the TV and you listen to someone yelling angry. What are you going to do? You're going to walk away yelling and angry. Turn it off. Turn it off. What do you focus on? What's beautiful and right and true and good? You know, get, get, get out your photos. You know, get out your old, if you're having trouble in your marriage, get out your old love letters or, 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 or remember the times of old, right? That's, that's the path. And don't just say that was good, and, uh, and, and, but thank God for it. To stir up the good in that. And there's another aspect of that as well, that you, that you would serve and sacrifice for others, that that is the place of joy. Because God says, you know what is good and best for you is to love God and love your neighbor, right? To enter intentionally into serving and sacrificing for the good of others is a path to joy. And I'm going to say more about that in a second, but we need to move on to the second aspect because you either can get into the rhythm of joy or you're going to find yourself in the restlessness of resistance, That's the second half of the psalm. It's the dark part here. The restlessness of resistance in verses 8 through 11 where you look up not with thanksgiving, but you look up with judgment. That you turn to God with a critical attitude. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Amasa in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me though they had seen my work. The psalmist is calling to mind the incident, especially in Exodus chapter 17, where the people grumble and complain at a place called Meribah that was also named Massa, in the wilderness. How long had they been in the wilderness? Weeks. They are weeks removed from slavery in Egypt. Weeks removed, not only from having seen God deliver them in his mighty works through plague after plague against the Egyptians while they were safe and cozy, but God delivered them out and they had just seen within weeks before this, God parting the Red Sea, them going through it on dry land, and the armies of Pharaoh and Egypt swallowed up as the river closed in on them and they were safe and delivered from their enemies. And now in Exodus 17, they're grumbling and complaining. They're looking up with judgment at God, saying, God, if you were really with us, if you really loved me, you would do what I think needs to be done when I think it needs to be done, by whom I think it needs to be done. And that, in essence, is to test God. To hold a standard up to God and say, Lord, this is the test. I've got the answer key, and if you don't fulfill them all, you're going to fail. And God has no time for that. God is utterly offended by that. Because it's completely upside down. He is God. You and I are not. 
He is God, the great king over all. He made the mountains, the depths, the sea, and the dry land. It's his. And that's rooted in this, the, the restlessness of resistance is looking up with judgment, I think, is rooted in the second aspect here of the pattern of resistance in essence. The second part of which is to bow down, not in wonder, but to bow down in no way. <laughs> not bow down at all. That's resistance. To bow down no way. Look at Verse 10, the Lord says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts. They do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. The, the language there of loathing for 40 years is now calling to mind Numbers chapter 14. After this pattern is well established by the people uh, and that God had told them to send out spies in the promised land and they came back with the report, right? And it didn't sound like what they wanted to hear. It didn't sound as easy as they thought it would be. And they said, yeah, we're not really interested in going up there and, and taking that land. Um, let's stay where we are, except for Caleb and Joshua. Everybody rejected the mission to go forward. And God says, I, I loathe that generation. The, the, the language there is, is a mixture of grief and repulsion. There's anger. You know, there's a hurt here. That essentially, the people are rejecting God. The great God and King who knows what is best for them and is offering for them something amazing. If they would just step out in faith and follow him. He's repulsed. He's grieved by it. He loathed that generation for 40 years. <clears throat> so don't just overly focus on the fact that he was angry, but focus on this, that he was angry and yet was patient. He didn't strike them all down, but persevered, giving them time. 40 years, anywhere in there, they could have sincerely repented and said, oh Lord, we have been foolish. And I'm sure there were some who did, but as a collective group, it didn't happen. So God put up with them for 40 years and decided and evaluated them that they are a people who err in their heart. E-R-R, err, as an error. Uh, that describes something that animals particularly do. Uh, the ESV translates it as go astray. They are a people who go astray in their heart. That's, that's what animals do. Little baby birds go astray. Uh, an ox or a donkey go astray. Do you know what else goes astray? The most common image? Sheep. Sheep go astray. Isaiah 53.6 puts it very well, right? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Same word. Each of us has turned to his own way. The people of God, when they don't bow down in wonder, are 
not bowing down at all, resisting the Lord, and they'll find a restlessness. Because if God is the true God and King, right, and if he made you for a certain way and purpose, and you're refusing to do that, you're not going to be satisfied, right? Things operate the way they were designed to, or they're broken and don't operate, right? Your car starts acting funny. You know something's wrong with it, right? If you refuse to pay attention to the dashboard lights or whatever, you're going to have trouble. The car is not operating well. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is saying. If the best way you were designed to operate is to, to bow down and wonder and to accept me as the great God and King, because that is who I am. And who are we? We are like sheep. We need someone to take care of us. That's how we were designed. We need someone to lead us. That's how we were designed. We need someone to speak to us, to write down for us, to communicate with us. That's how we were designed. We need to be in a community with other people on board with the same project of listening to God because that's how He made us. Because He's our God and we're His people. And so He comes to us to lead us like sheep. And we turn away and we go astray. You know, there's not a lot of transition between the two big sections here. Between the, the rhythm of joy and the restlessness of resistance, there's just those few words in verse 7. Today, if you would hear His voice. Today, if you would hear His voice. It's appropriate every Sunday. It's appropriate every day. But today, if you would hear his voice, no matter how much you've gone astray like a lost sheep, no matter even today what you have done, much less over the past days and weeks and years of your life, today, if you would hear his voice and not harden your heart, you can enter into that joy. You can begin to experience a fuller life. Less restlessness, more joy. And it comes from obedience to the Lord. Recognizing that you will not obey if you don't understand who He is, right? You're not going to come worship and shout joyfully. You're not going to come and bow down if you don't understand that He's the great God and King who's providing for you like a shepherd. You have to have all of that together or you will resist the very idea because you'll think He's just a tyrant or you'll think he doesn't care about you, or the experiences of hardship in your life will become insurmountable to you because a good God would not do that. And you'll begin to put him to the test. And God says to you, I am who I say I am. And today, if you will hear my voice, you can experience the path to joy. Isaiah 53.6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And how does it keep going? But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That we're like lost sheep, straying. But God has said, I'm the great God and King. 
I'm your good shepherd. I will provide for you. Come hide in me. I am the rock of your salvation. You will find no other rescue, no other hope, no other lasting joy besides in me. Your enemies will overwhelm you, but come, he says, into me because I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the sheep, the Lamb of God who lays down his life, that I have come that you would hide yourself in me, Jesus says. And enter into my joy. Hebrews 12.2 Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus for the joy set before Him. The joy set before him endured the cross. The path to joy is a path of of suffering, of discomfort, of humility, of, of a brokenness. It's the path to joy because it goes through Jesus who has done those very things for you if you would hide yourself in him. It goes through the cross by way of Jesus, and he found a lasting joy in that. And you can too. You can can find the power to overcome sin. You can find the power to defeat the evil one in your life. B.B. Warfield put it this way, talking about Jesus and his emotions. He said, joy he had. Jesus had joy. But it was not the shallow joy of mere pagan delight in living, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, Let's enjoy ourselves and have pleasure. It wasn't that pagan joy and delight, nor the delusive joy of a hope destined to failure. He wasn't just wishful thinking, oh, you know, it's all going to be great and good and work out in the end. But he had the deep exultation of a conqueror setting captives free. The joy Jesus had, B.B. Warfield says, was the joy of a conqueror setting captives free. The joy. If you want to enter the path of joy, that's the first place to start. Recognize that you need a conqueror to set you free. And he's done it. Look at the cross. (laughs) How can you not say, yes! You know, this is what we're doing as we rejoice in our sports team or any accomplishments of our own with the yes that comes out of our hearts and saying, this is good, this is great, this is the source of joy. I mean, this is a pleasurable thing. And to look at the cross of Jesus and say, yes, he did that for me. The great God and king of the universe came down for me to fight my battles, to set me free that I might have power over sin, that I might not be afraid of the devil or death itself, that I might have a hope and a future, that I can then enter into what he entered into, right? Enduring the cross, despising the shame, that you can enter into whatever the world has to offer you with the joy expecting no matter the challenges and trials, because you have a rock and a safe place in this God that we have. You have a king who has won the victory for you. If you will embrace him as the great king and God, 
if you will hear his voice, not merely with your mind and not merely with some duties, but with your heart. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray each one of us here would would go deeper into the rhythm of joy. That we would see things that we did not see even this morning and be thankful for them. Looking up to you with thanksgiving. And Lord, as we consider that, that you are the great God and King over all, that you have the whole world in your hands, that that would lead us to this place of bowing down in wonder. That we would literally find ourselves on our knees just in awe. That you would be there with us and for us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that that would lead us out into whatever challenges you have for us individually and as individual family units, as a church overall, that you would lead us, O oh Lord, and we would be willing to follow. Coming together in that common purpose for the joy set before us, entering into trials and challenges and sufferings that all come with loving people in a fallen world and following you, the great God, until you return, Lord Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.